Hello, and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. Um, back again with another discussion. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. As always, I'm your host, Robert Jean Pelleccio. Um, And this month, I am talking with Elephant Room Productions company member, Latrice. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to be here and talking to you. So this is a continuation on our... Uh, fun little new idea, the discussion series. Um, so the first, the last one we did was the musical theater discussion with Sean and Meg, and I think it, I'm very proud of how it came out, and I'm very happy with how it came out. Um, so I wanted to try another format for this one, just to test out the waters again. Uh, this time it's just a two-person discussion, and uh, the next couple ones I have on deck are going to be more of uh, debates, but I wanted to kind of keep that conversational um theater history concept that we had in the last one um so today not the day that you're listening to this but the day we are recording is the ides of march uh which as we all know in the theater world is uh the well actually conan o'brien put it best why did the soothsayer say beware the ides of march when she could have much easily much more easily said beware the knives of stabbers to caesar but <laughs> neither neither here nor there um so i i've been i've been cooking around in my head what do we do this month i wanted to do something shakespeare related because i knew the ides of march were coming up um and i just kind of got to thinking about how prevalent how much i love shakespeare how much many people i know love shakespeare whether they are older millennials younger um so i thought i talked to latrice the other day and we decided that a good discussion topic to kind of breach would be talking about the relevance of shakespeare and why after all of these years is it still is he still as relevant as he was years and years and years ago um so to start in our discussion um let's just answer that question why is Shakespeare and his play, why are Shakespeare and his plays still relevant? Uh, so for me, I think the it, it's his themes. It is the the things that never generationally stop. It is um, in a lot of ways in a lot of his plays that teen angst that seems yep. to be um, extremely generational it's um the idea of like doing anything that is possible for love and the ones that you love betrayal um like fighting against the things that are fighting against the things that you don't believe in and fighting for the things that you do um and i think generationally um, through the years, those things have just been passed down uh, from generation to generation. And there are things that we still today um, really have, especially I think in today's world, we still have roots in and we still um, can identify with completely and wholly um, that over the years th- th- that has just been, we've always been able to identify with. Right. And I think it's important. um, I don't think we can have this discussion without pointing out the remarkable fact that Shakespeare, Shakespeare's works were never meant to be studied. They were uh, I I just I I always to this day, I still kind of think it's hilarious, especially when there's a teacher that 
doesn't quite understand that. Um, and because Shakespeare was kind of a, I don't want to say low class, but I mean, he but, definitely yeah, was. Yeah, when you think of it, yeah, like when was, you think of the Globe Theater, you know. The, yeah, I mean, he Shakespeare the, the, yeah. was just an average Joe Schmo. I mean, honestly, like if if ears were around back then, Shakespeare would be sending us his play saying like, does this dick joke work or is this too much? I mean, that his, that's what his plays have somehow transcended that. And there are, there are some that have a larger meaning and there are some that I think you can delve into. There are others though, that I've noticed that it, it's kind of like that old adage about like the, the professor saying like, Oh, the, he says the curtains were blue because it represents the author's depression and descent into madness, whereas the author's intention yeah. was no, that meant that the curtains were blue. I like so blue. I, I think that yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's I think there's a lot of things that in between the themes of Shakespeare that still connect. It was a lot of him just writing what he knew. Well, to branch off of that, um, I, the next question I would have is staying on the first topic. When was the first time you remember? Uh, really appreciating Shakespeare or, or finding a play that wasn't necessarily, a, oh, this is an assignment that I have to read. This is something I actually very much enjoy. So, uh, believe it or not, 10th grade English, we read Hamlet. And I... Uh, lucky you felt... for me. We didn't, we didn't get to it till 12th grade. Really? Yeah. I, yeah, 10th grade English, um, I fell in love with Hamlet, and I fell in love with the character Ophelia. She, um, for, for some reason, I, and I think it was that teenage angst, like, going through all of, and I mean, the scenes in Hamlet are very, like, I hate my parents, uh, uh-huh. should I kill myself or kill my uncle? Um, and I think Ophelia's character, like, the idea of her being in love with this person who's never going to love her back, and it just drives her slowly into madness as a 15, 16 year old, I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is, this is insane. Um, and this is everything I think that my life is, or, you know, (laughs) to, to the most like 10th degree of what I guess I thought I wanted my life, you know, to be, but completely was not, um, and so I just, I, I fell in love with um, Hamlet and I fell in love with the idea of Ophelia. And I think, <laughs> yeah, as a 16 year old, it was just like, this drama is everything. Like this is this tragedy and this to be or not to be like, what do I do is, is it um, completely, completely just like encompasses everything that it means to be to be right. a fifteen-year-old. I think. I mean, Hamlet is consistently on the top of my Shakespeare list. Like, um, it, it has a lot of moments that I connect to very closely. Particularly that one scene where um, uh, Claudius gets all the hyenas together and sings about how he's going to take over. Pride Rock. Um, I might, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I might be thinking that. I might be thinking of a different adaptation. That's something we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, unlikely <laughs> adaptations of Shakespeare. But uh, just in answering my own question, I guess for me, the first Shakespeare play I ever read was an eighth grade assignment. 
uh, we all as a class were reading Taming of the Shrew. And I fell in love with that play very uh, quickly. It's um, funny. It's still funny to this day. Um, You don't really need the, um, you know, spark notes or the Shakespeare for dummies. uh, What's it called? The No Fear Shakespeare, I think, is the the one that the translation. Like, you really don't need that for for something like Taming of the Shrew. It's very straightforward. Um, Sidebar, it has one of my favorite... uh, it has one of my favorite framing devices in a Shakespeare play, and a lot of a lot of Shakespeare's plays have um, these framing devices that are cut out because they don't serve the story uh, in any way. But do you remember the framing device of Taming of the Shrew? Um, I don't. I don't. Okay, so the, wow, fir- the, first two scenes, the first two scenes really of Taming like. of the Shrew are very, very rarely performed because they hate, they don't serve the story in any way. The first yeah. two the first two scenes are there is a guy who stumbles into a bar drunk. And passes out. And everybody in the bar slash inn gets around and they're like, this guy is so drunk and pathetic, you know it would be funny, let's make him think he's a king. So they dress him up, They he wakes up out of a drunken stupor, and everybody acts like they're his servants and butlers and stuff, and they make him think he's a king, and they say, oh, your majesty, uh, we will now get our troop of actors together and we will perform a play for you called The Taming of the Shrew and then they perform The Taming of the Shrew. And oh, that is yeah. and okay. the last yeah, the I last scene this. of Taming the Shrew does not end with them taking a bow and then going back to him. We never see him again. It just goes into Taming of the Shrew and then we're done. Goodbye. So yeah. um okay, but that being said, so there's that um and then like, I discovered Hamlet in my senior year. Uh, and it's, yeah, I mean, it, the way he uses language, um, I think I was, I think a lot of us were turned off at first by, you know, the daunting, you know, language barriers of Shakespeare. Um, yeah. I think also because sure. a lot of people thought that that's how people just talked back then and nobody realized that this was a specific stylized way of talking for the play. Oh, yeah. Um, but And I think the first, everyone's first experience is like Romeo and Juliet. And while Romeo and Juliet, um, in hindsight, is like, it's Romeo and Juliet, I don't think as an introduction to Shakespeare is necessarily the best one, but it's what um, is chosen for freshmen high school English classes because it is two 14-year-olds. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and Romeo and Juliet and, fits the mold of classic literature, and I think that's yeah. what... that I think that it's a lot of educators saying to themselves, okay, well, this has to be educational and informative. We're going to do a study of this classic love story when yeah. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold a candle to... Uh, to Macbeth, to Midsummer Night's Dream, Midsummer Night's Dream, which is probably my uh, my favorite yeah. comedy. Um, yeah. Hamlet will be you know top of the list in another category, but Midsummer really reigns. I played. Uh, I've actually played. Have you played? Um, any? Have you done Shakespeare? Um, actually, yeah, I was in Romeo and Juliet, and I was I was actually um, the apothecary, which I know a lot of directors Ooh. cut. Um, it's a it's it's a scene that is cut a lot of times in Shakespeare, but I I got to play the apothecary, which was 
um, really cool and uh, a really interesting thing because it's not necessarily seen as in today's world or in, in the production that is done today. It's not seen as a necessary scene or a necessary um, part of the play. Well, um, the thing the thing about so Shakespeare really cool. that a lot of people don't remember is that the his plays were the, the groundling section at the theater and like it kind of the only people that kind of sat down and watched a play were nobility. Everybody else was yeah. hanging around. They were going to get drinks. Standing they would leave. Up, like drinking, they would leave. Yeah. They would they they would socialize. You know, during the show. So half of those scenes are there specifically to be like, hey, just in case you were getting some mead two scenes ago, this is where we're at in the plot right now. Whereas nowadays we're more conditioned to, you know, sit and watch a play so we can cut them down to like two hours, if even. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I've, so I've played, um, I've done a few, I have a few Shakespeare's under my belt. I have played Bottom in um, Midsummer Night's oh, Dream. Oh, yeah, Midsummer um, Night's Dream, yeah. I have, I was in a production of Hamlet, just for kind of various characters in Osric. Um, I have, I actually came back to Midsummer. Years later, I was, um, I assistant directed the youth production at Hedgerow Theater, uh, directed by Penelope Reed. And then later, she, later that summer, she took a couple students from the class and a couple adults from, like, one of her adult classes, and we did a slightly, like, we took the cutting that we used for the class, and we did a slightly lengthened version where I played, um, both Demetrius and Flute. Which was uh, oh, wow. I, uh, and our our bottom was also Lysander, and I'm pretty. I think that's about. I'm trying to think of where else the I think uh, Oberon and Theseus were the same, and our Titania and uh, we had, well, we had two Titanias. It was an odd <laughs> imagining, but um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, on that note, because I so I had mentioned um, I'd mentioned Lion King earlier, which we all have kind of accepted is Hamlet. Although, which the writers uh, and the directors of Lion King to this day still claim that it was not a direct adaptation of Hamlet. It's just, it kind of just had those beats to it, Um, which is always an interesting way to look at it because a lot of Disney movies do go in with the idea of we are specifically adapting this story. Um, Yeah. But I've never known that. That's, that's insane to me because I feel like it's, like I said, one of the most famous um, adaptations when you think of like, uh, when you think of adaptations for it's something that everyone's seen and you're like, you've never seen Shakespeare. Well, no, you've seen the line. So (laughs) you've totally seen Shakespeare. Well, then we also have, um, and I think a lot of people, the second and third iteration usually gets kind of lost to time, but, uh, or not to time lost to, it's enough. It's like six degrees of separation, but everyone knows the West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But Greece and High School Musical were also supposed to follow that uh, kind that of kind of model. Thing. It's the got boy and girl from two different worlds, and their their respective worlds don't want them to interact. Um, as we go down the line, you miss the mark a little more and more of the story. I'd say West Side Story is probably the closest to. Romeo and Juliet. Um, but on that note, um, what was um, uh, what was an adaptation that you can think of? Uh, one of the most interesting, uh, either adaptations of a Shakespeare piece or just a production of a Shakespeare piece in 
maybe a theme or style that you didn't expect? Um, so I feel like I just always go back to Hamlet ah. for some reason. You can bring up um, the, Ken- the Kenneth Branagh one. Yeah, that is, and and I feel like it is because it was one of the first adaptations I saw because. Actually, the class that I took in high school, I was lucky enough, it was a Shakespeare in comparison to, um, um, in comparison to uh, modern or more modern adaptations. Um, so that is one of the first ones that come to mind. But also, um, I'm it's flipping my mind right now. Um, hold on, I'm gonna try. And look it up really quickly because it's well, one while, that you're, also while, you're, while you're looking that up, I'll piggyback on the Hamlet thing. What's, yeah. what's so significant about that is that it's the to date, I believe it's the only Shakespeare film that is unabridged. Um, yeah, it's a four hour film, and it's actually yeah. he's Shakespeare is credited as the screenwriter because it's unabridged. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, for me, I think the most. If we're talking about just a, you know, just a production of a Shakespeare play, um, I guess I would go with um, uh, there, there was a production of Macbeth I saw at the Globe years ago, um, uh-huh. and there is a famous painting of Macbeth um, of him standing over a battlefield surrounded by this sea of just heads that have been decapitated from the you know people who slaughtered in a battle. So yeah. to recreate that image, the whole groundling area was covered in a tarp that was at head level and it had slits all yeah. through it. So in order to get to watch the show, you had to duck under this tarp and stick your head through it. So you're watching the play and you're looking around and all you see next to you are these heads. Um, oh, my God. That's insane. Yeah, it was it was. Well, it was wonderful because um, there you got to. There was a little bit of freedom to move because, but you were stuck for at least the length of the act. So I had these three girls yeah. in front of me who kept trying to share a lollipop with each other, and they kept like screaming every time a witch would come out. And I'm like, I'm not doing this for act two, so I moved. <laughs> um, but in terms of a, uh, in terms of an adaptation, I think the most unique one I've ever seen was. Um, I wish I could remember. Uh, the name of the musical, but there's a filmed musical um, based on the, it's a jukebox musical based on the music of Duke Ellington. um, Yeah. About Duke Ellington, basically uh, a fictitious version of Duke Ellington. And it's the story of 12th night where, wow, that's so um, cool. So instead of the Duke, it's Duke Ellington. And like, it starts out with take the a train and, as you know, yeah, don't mean a thing if you ain't got the swing. It's you know all the, you know, Duke Ellington standards through yeah the uh, through the you know kind of modernized story of one of the one of his more bizarre stories. I think you could argue. Yeah, but for um, sure that sounds that sounds really really um, interesting, and I feel like a lot of. Um, that, that's a really interesting take because I feel like recently, um, like a few days ago, I was talking to someone and they were talking about how they are going to see a show that is, I can't remember if it's Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet in space. Interesting. Um, it's ideas of, I feel like I used to joke about that a lot, (laughs) like doing, just doing Shakespeare in space. 
I feel like that is a running theater joke. Um, and oh, the um, um, the Helen Mirren version of um, oh, the, uh, the Tempest. Yes, the Tempest, where, where, um, where I cannot Prospera, remember the character's name. Prospero yes. is Prospera, because it's Helen Mirren. Yes, Prospera is, or Prospero is Prospera, and it's Helen Mirren. Um, so that's something that I got to watch my senior year of college, which I thought was really interesting, the idea that, like, this character who is, like, strong and who a lot of times is accused of being, you know, very misogynistic, and um, the play of The Tempest in general has so many, um, like, racial undertones and yeah. things of yeah. that nature that, like, Prospero as a woman... Not all of his um, work holds up. Well, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, and even the... Uh, also, some of my favorite adaptions are things that I saw as a, as you know, like a younger teenager, um, preteen, like she's man that, um, you know, um, is uh, that are these Shakespeare stories, um, but that are completely adapted to our modern day um, uh, world, and I think. Shakespeare is so ingrained in our society and our minds that in a lot of ways we don't even realize it. Well, I think I think we can all kind of agree as a society of millennials that the best adaptation of anything Shakespeare is the Wishbone adaptation of The Tempest. Oh yeah, of course. With um with Wishbone as Wishbone. um as Ares. Oh god. Well, I mean, I think Wishbone anything was absolutely Which, by the amazing. Way, we need to uh, does Wishbone? We gotta we gotta look in see if like Wishbone has a kid out there because they need to reboot that show. And that show was absolutely amazing. I remember like, uh, Son of Wishbone. Sorry? The story continues. Oh God! What? Today okay. we're gonna be talking I... about a uh, Stephanie Meyer classic called Twilight. Oh Wishbone is sparkling as Edward Cullen. Now tell Imagine. me you wouldn't pay a million dollars to make the Harry Potter wishbone. Oh my god, I was just gonna say that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. Well, to what to wind it back down to Shakespeare, um so we've we've gone through his relevance, we've gone through kind of the unique edit. I mean, we haven't even touched on how far reaching and how out there some of his uh adaptations have been. I mean, Sleep No More, I believe, is still a thing, uh the, yeah. the interactive Macbeth, all that. Um, so in terms of plays, what would you like to see redone or reimagined? Uh, and you can, you can, if you, uh, if it's hard to pick, you can pick one to just be reimagined and one to be, you know, adapted into a new form. Um, I don't know. It's, it is hard. I, I feel like, Measure for measure for me is one wow, that like okay. isn't yeah. really isn't really touched on, and I feel like measure for measure is one of those ones that if you know Shakespeare or if you are a Shakespeare person, you know measure for measure. But I I don't know many people that have read measure for measure in school, like just in your high school or college level classes. Um, and I feel like it's not one that's 
and not I I don't necessarily have an idea for a reimagining of it. Um, but I think it would be interesting to see something like Measure for Measure, um, or you know, even even Comedy of Errors, something like that, um, to be reimagined. Right. I for me, I you know, I go back to Midsummer and how much I love Midsummer. Midsummer is. Yeah. The perfect Shakespeare play that shouldn't work because it's three yeah. completely tangential, non-intersecting storylines that somehow all fit together and interact with each other. Um, so I would love you know to what? see a, I'd love a musical of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream oh, if we're looking yeah. for a new form. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it would be, you know, a direct adaptation or if it would be some kind of you know similar to West Side Story or something where it's just a complete. It's based on the framework. But I would love to see some kind of, you know, some kind of odd uh, mashup of that show. And I think it would be a perfect time for it, like fairies and the fantasy um, <laughs> aspect to it. I think people would absolutely love that. <laughs> and I think the story is just... It's so it's so funny in ways that you would not think it's funny, and, and in ways that people probably don't understand that it's funny, and it's just so it, it's completely um, it it would be an interesting way to see someone reimagine that show, especially in today's world. And I yeah, that that's maybe why um, that's a I think that would be a fantastic production and a musical. Um, I think that would be that would be insane. In terms of just a reimagining, um, I feel like Tempest is one that would work really well in a very like stripped down environment. I know there's a there's a Tempest that that was done uh, in a prison years ago uh, oh, with wow. inmates. It was a this beautiful documentary. I think it was PBS about bringing Shakespeare, I think it was called Shakespeare Behind Bars, and it was about taking oh, wow. prisoners, some of some of whom had been convicted of horrible crimes who you'd think were irredeemable, and kind of trying to touch them and uh, bring some sort of, like, emotional response out of them through Shakespeare. And I think they, did, they set it within the confines of the prison, and apparently it was a really good production. Oh, wow. I can completely see that play being... Um, something that is done in a prison. Yeah, it's there's so many like great uh, and, and I mean it, it's the kind of production you'd have to do it with like eight actors or something and yeah, you know, which is always my favorite thing to do. I saw an amazing before we wrap up one of my favorite to give a shout out to Hedgerow Theater, my home away from home. Um, they did one of the best productions of Midsummer Night's Dream I've ever seen. It was a six person cast. Um, yeah, it was as. There was no solitary Puck. Every actor played Puck at some point in the production. Whoever wasn't on stage as someone else was Puck. Um, and they just kept oh, wow. kind of flipping off. It was it was incredible. Wow. Um, and it was awesome. like Pe- Peter Quince, Theseus, and Oberon were doubled. I think uh, uh, Bottom was... Bottom may not have been... I think Bottom was... Uh, oh, no, Bottom was also... Um, uh, Hermia's father, um, yeah, played by the incomparable Susan Weifel, and she was one of the best bottoms I've ever seen. That sounds so amazing. Well, I um, think uh, 
I think that the uh, I think that the bard would be proud of uh, uh, how his work has transcended. I think he would also find it hilarious that ninth graders are studying dick jokes under a microscope uh, in English class. But oh, yeah. um, I think that uh, it's it's definitely a wonderful thing that we can still mold and adapt into whatever we need it to. And I think there's always going to be a time when Shakespeare is relevant. I completely agree. I mean, I, I, like I said in the beginning, um, the themes just transcend uh, generation and age. And there are things that we have all gone through in our lives that connect us. Um, and I think Shakespeare is a great example of that. Well, this, I think, wraps up another successful discussion episode. Thank you so, so much for chatting with me today. Of course. It was my pleasure. I'm so happy to have gotten to talk about Shakespeare. And I think this is, uh, I think this is a good side, two for two, I think, uh, of successful discussions in the books. Um, so until the next one, which I believe actually will be a playwright interview, I, wait, I, I know because I just recorded it a few days ago. Um, until the next time, uh, I am your host, Robert Jean Pileccio, signing off. Bye.